0: everyone to another episode of Kindling the Hearthfire. How is everyone in the Northern Hemisphere doing this in bulk? I hope everyone is planning to celebrate and have a great time. I know I am. Later today is my protoghost ritual and potluck and I just can't wait. I know I say that every time but I really love being able to get together to celebrate the turning of the seasons with my grove. I also want to say hi to my listeners in the Southern Hemisphere. I hope you have a great time at your Lunasa celebrations. Um, This time last year, I began this podcast and we are now beginning our second year. Um, This year, I hope to continue to grow as a show and create wonderful content for you, my listeners. Um, Next up, we have our discussion on what the ancients did during this time of year, and this time you're in for a real treat, because we will be briefly talking about some Welsh traditions, and just as a disclaimer, um, I cut out a lot of the Welsh that is being spoken in this particular discussion, but what little is there, I'm probably going to mispronounce, and I do apologize. I did my best to find pronunciation keys for everything. Gŵyl fair Carnebich, which in English means Mary's Festival of the Candles, is the Welsh name for its equivalent of Candlemas, which is celebrated on the second of February. Um, it's connected with the coming of the spring, but it is not connected with Saint Bridget of Kildare as in bulk is, in Scotland and Ireland. Um, in the darker part of the year, probably around the time of either Samhain or the winter solstice, um, candles were distributed, either purchased by um, the people themselves or given to them by family members as gifts for Yule. Um, I'm kind of guessing here because my sources were kind of vague on where the candles come from, But it is a common custom to be given a Yule candle, so I think my assumption is pretty sound. Um, This part of the year is called Esmer Gwilad, or the time of keeping vigil. The dark part of the year um, starts with the blessing of the candles and then the distribution of them to be used during the dark part of the year. Um, It is during this time of year, during Imbolc, or... um, candle mass that the candles are either returned in a procession of lights towards the um, local parish or in one um, recorded instance um, it was customary for people to light two candles and place them on a table or a high bench Um, then each member of the family in turn would sit down on the chair between the candles and take a drink out of a horn or a goblet or beaker or some kind of cup with um, both a top and a distinct bottom. Um, Afterwards, they would throw the vessel over the head and if it fell in an upright position, the person um, who threw it would live to reach a very old age. Um, If it fell bottoms up, the person would die early. Um, The drink used, it was usually beer, uh, which was associated with candamos as well. Um, The custom of wassailing, which involved wishing for fertile crops and an increase of livestock in the coming year for those who provided the wassailers with ale, um, is kind of similar to the ceremonies in Ireland for St. Bridget's Day. The early spring was the time to ensure production and fertility for the crops and the animals. If the sun shone on the altar on Candlemas Day, it was thought that there would be an abundant harvest the following year. However, if even a single crow was seen hovering or circling over the home or over the altar on the eve or day of Candlemas, um, it was considered unlucky. There's also a tradition of hopeful weather prediction around this time, and there's a traditional rhyme that goes, if Candlemas Day is clear and bright, winter will have another bite. If Candlemas Day brings cloud and rain, winter is gone and will not come again. Um, there's also um, hintings of um, Candlemas singing um, or caroling celebrations around this time of time of year. Very kind of similar to what we do during Christmas for wassailing and carolers going around singing to everybody. And another celebration Celebration held around this time um, would be St. Dwinwin's Day. Um, St. Dwinwin is um, the patron saint of friendship and love. And she lived during around the 5th century and was by all accounts one of the prettiest of the 24 of her sisters. Um, the story goes that Dwynwen fell in love with Malon Daffodril. But unfortunately, her father had already arranged that she should marry someone else. Um, Malon was so outraged that he assaulted Dwinwin and left her. Um, In her grief, she was obviously very upset after this happened. Um, She fled into the woods where she begged to forget him. Um, After falling asleep, obviously exhausted, uh, Dwinwin was visited by a spirit and some places even says that God visited her by sending an angel. Um, He appeared they appeared um, carrying a sweet potion designed to It's kind of unclear at this point what exactly the potion does Um, some versions of the tale say that it erases memory of uh, Melon for Dwinwin and In some cases it says that it is to be given to Melon to freeze him into a block of ice Either way um, she Supposedly, she supposedly forgets Melon, and he's turned into a block of ice at this point. Which I think is very, um, a good punishment for what he's done, personally. Um, Dwinwin is then given three wishes. First, um, she wishes that Melon be thawed. Second, was her wish that she be allowed to meet the hopes and dreams of two true lovers, and this is kind of an archaic kind of way to say she wanted to help out anyone who was in her same position. And um, the third thing that she wanted was that she would never marry. Um, all three were fulfilled, and as a mark of her thanks, um, Dwinwin became a nun and hermit for the rest of her life. Okay. Kind of a little odd little story for um, the Welsh version of Saint Valentine's Day, but it gets even better. Um, the remains of Dwynwyn's church can be seen today on the island of Llandwyn off the coast of Anglesey. Um, also situated on the island is Dwynwyn's well, where allegedly a sacred fish swims. Um, this fish's movements supposedly, um, predict the future of fortunes and relationships of various couples. Um, visitors to the well believe that the, if the water boils while they are present, then love and good luck will surely follow. The popularity and celebration of Saint Dwynwin's Day has increased considerably in recent years, for some reason, um, with special events such as concerts and parties often being held and greeting cards being printed. Although still not as popular as St. Valentine's Day in February, St. Dwynwen is certainly becoming better known. As a side note, something I found very fascinating while researching the story um, her name is a combination of two syllables, Dwyn or Gwyn and Wen. Um, these are familiar sounds for anyone who knows Welsh. Um, because they're found in many Welsh names. Um, Gwyn and Gwen at the start of names and Wyn and when at the end. Wyn is always masculine and when is is always feminine. Um, its basic meaning is white, pure, or blessed. But generally speaking, these syllables actually speak to um, some kind of divine nature for the person with the name. And you can you can see these endings, um, such as an ending of Wen, and names um, like Caradwen and Wen, who are obviously goddesses. Um, it's an interesting little side note, and something to look at when reading about Welsh saints. Now moving on to the submission section of the podcast. This first submission comes from Reverend Sean Harborough from the... Um, Sierra Madrone Grove down here in Sacramento. He and I got into a very long discussion about Bridget and about how Imbolc is practiced in his grove. And these are some snippets from that conversation.
1: Our grove had a uh, day where they got together and they made load of candles. I think that actual tradition just started organically last year we we decided that that was kind of a neat thing to do and that we would make these candles and bless them and then present them as part of our working for the ritual but candle mass is the christian equivalent of Imbol, and so there's a large tradition built around the blessing of candles and there's a ritual mass in the catholic church where they take two candles and they hold them up to everyone's neck and they bless everybody in the congregation. Um, that ritual of candle mass or the or the blessing of the candles and the uh, the holiday of the candles or however it's called um, is a long-standing tradition of holding these candles up and using them as a blessing towards the, the folk in general. Mm-hmm. So there's a deep-rooted... Tradition within the Gaelic and obviously the Welsh culture. To remember the whole point of the light, fire is used as a dual purpose item. It's used to illuminate and it's used to give warmth. It's also, it also has a third function of cooking your food. So these things come into play when it comes to the significance of the fire. In, both in the fire festival and a pagan realm, it only stands to reason how important the notion of illumination and candles would, would be. For us, in a modern sense, it was kind of a natural, organic growth to do something that was related to something that we could incorporate into Hmm.
0: Okay.
1: In years past for Imbolc, we would focus on milk and the... Reverence for how lambs are born this time of year, and yeah, we would have a, a tradition of using used milk to use as a blessing onto the land and to celebrate the rebirth uh, of the of the coming of the spring and the longer days and uh, growth and know that spring is upon us. Our stuff is shifted, especially with the influx of new members and things. Our focus has has grown and evolved. Bridget is the traditional goddess in the Celtic realm that is honored during this time of year. And is a goddess of a multitude of things, midwifery, um, And she's a fire goddess. She's also a goddess of wells. She's a goddess of healing. She's a goddess of the forge. She has a multitude of things that she does in the stories and in the lore. And as a functionary, Uh, Most notably is she is the caretaker of the fire of the Monastery of Kadara. And so she's one of the few Celtic goddesses that has evolved into a saint. She was so revered in the Celtic lands that she crossed over with the coming of Christianity to Ireland. So she has an importance in the whole tradition, especially in the Celtic realm.
0: Thank you, Sean, for discussing um, this very important um, festival. It was very um, good talk and we got into a lot of different subjects which had absolutely nothing to do with Imbolc, Um, but I could basically sit sit with Sean for hours and never be bored by what he has to say because he's such a font of knowledge and I want to thank him for sitting down with me and speaking about Imbolc, among other things. Um, next up, we have another submission from uh, another reverend, um, Reverend um, Rob Henderson.
2: Hi again, it's the Reverend Rob Henderson, here to talk about Imbolc traditions and specifically my grove's Breachub tradition. Uh, way back in the earliest days of the grove, even before I joined, when Fox was still our senior druid, uh, we looked very heavily. We relied very heavily on a book called *The Year in Ireland* by Kevin Donagher. Apparently, it's still available, so check it out if you can afford 125 bucks for it, or you can get it used for 25 according to Amazon. Um, it has a lot of details of folk traditions in Ireland that we based our Irish grove's earliest practices on. Uh, around this time of year, for Imbolc, One of the traditions in the uh, villages, I think this was more of a medieval thing than an ancient thing. These are more medieval traditions that we were looking at in the hopes that they would be a continuation of earlier traditions, that we could adapt to our own pagan ways. Uh, Anyway, the joke was a tradition where a group of children would take a corn dolly, corn being wheat, of course, when we're talking British Isles, not maize, uh, would make a dolly out of corn stalks, wheat stalks, uh, carry it. they would dress up in uh, shabby clothing often bring puppets with them and go around the village just rampaging around and knocking loudly on people's doors and barging in and demanding food for the corn dolly um, we we looked at that and obviously that's a very interesting tradition kind of an extreme form of trick-or-treating uh, we didn't necessarily want to be insisted upon this but we kind of worked in as bresia say, goddess of the hearth. We thought maybe bringing hearth blessings from house to house in a processional form would be a good way to apply it. So we did wear silly hats, and we did bring puppets, and we also have a corn dolly. We used to make a different corn dolly each year. Um, Our crafty people weren't really interested in doing that for too long, and we've had the same corn dolly for about a decade now. Um, But yeah, we would carry from house to house. We'd drive in a procession, a convoy, as it were, and uh, go to the houses of people who had requested it. We weren't going to demand things, that's a little bit uh, non-consensual for us to be doing in uh, modern pagan practice, So, but we would go where we were invited, the uh, hosts would serve us food, we would sing some songs of breeze and uh, carry the dolly all around the house, sort of present the house to her or present her to the house as a form of blessing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was an interesting way to get to meet people. People were supposed to clean their houses beforehand. It was part of the whole spring cleaning tradition of Imbolc. Um Some of our modern folks did do cleaning and some didn't maybe quite do as much as they should have. Um, but we, we did the tradition for several years. Um, unfortunately, declining Grove membership and the fact that we're all kind of getting old and not that interested in driving around in January in Michigan quite so much kind of uh, slowed it down for us. It's still a tradition of ours that I very much enjoyed and I think fondly of. And I hope that uh, some young energetic folks out there will look into it and maybe do their own version of the brie jug and carry the dolly around and demanding some food. By the way, we did collect food for food gatherers, the local food bank that we do a lot of our charity work with. So we did have that element of the uh, gathering food as we were going around. Uh, but not demanding, technically not demanding, as I said. Anyway, yeah, that's that's one of our old Shining Lakes Grove in bulk traditions. Uh, you can look up more info on it on our website. Actually, I think we even have a few of our silly Bree Joke songs on there. So, whether whether you go house to house or not, everyone have a happy in bulk.
0: Thank you so much for everybody that submitted, and I hope to get more submissions next time so we can hear what the druids are up to during this time of year. Next up, we have the recipe for in bulk. And since we are moving into in bulk, um I felt it appropriate to incorporate butter into the recipe as much as I could. Um, in bulk literally means bag of butter. And Brigid is associated with butter quite heavily. The recipes I have for you today are sugar cookie recipes and butter cookie recipes. And what I'm actually going to be doing um, with the um, sugar cookie recipe um, is I'm going to be placing it in a ceramic cookie mold that happens to be shaped like a sheep and we're going to be using that for our in-bulk ritual to offer to Bridget. I thought that was appropriate. Um, I actually found the ceramic mold uh, amongst my mother's things and they were actually going to be thrown out and it seemed appropriate to use it for this particular festival. Um, If you do not have molds, that's fine. They make wonderful cookies. Okay, so the first recipe, the one I'm going to be using for the cookie mold, um, is the sugar cookie recipe um, and this particular recipe serves about 12 um, it's a kind of a small batch at least i think it's a small batch anyway because i make big cookies usually but um the preparation and the cooking take about an hour and 15 minutes all together and the list of ingredients here is you have to have okay you need to have a, half a cup of butter three-fourths cups sugar one large egg Um, One tablespoon milk or a tablespoon of cream, whichever one you have on hand or you like more. Um, A third of a teaspoon salt. And one teaspoon vanilla. And then two and a quarter cups of flour. And the recipe itself um, assumes, (laughs) it it assumes that you're going to have an electric mixer. But for most of this you really don't need one, but it does make it a lot easier. Um, So the recipe goes like this Um, with an electric mixer, um, cream, the butter, sugar together until they are fluffy. Um, Then beat in the egg and the milk and the cream or milk, whatever. Um, (laughs) Then you add vanilla. Mix it all together until it's fully combined. You don't want to mix it too much, so just just until it's fully combined, and then you're gonna add the flour and salt at this point, um, and you're gonna add it slowly, because um, butter because um, the flour um, tends to make it a little bit harder to stir together. It turns into a kind of a doughy consistency, um, so mix it mix it um, until it's com- c- combined well, and then after it's combined well, you remove the dough from the bowl into a onto a lightly floured surface. Um, You're going to knead the dough briefly, um, not too long, um, or it'll be a very tough cookie. And you form it into a ball. Um, Then you wrap that with plastic and chill in the refrigerator for 30 minutes, or you can give it a quick chill in the freezer for about 10. What I'm going to be doing is I'm actually going to leave it in there overnight, um, because I'm going to make these in the morning so they're extra fresh for everybody when I'm coming to ritual. But, they ha- it has to chill in the fridge to make it um, easier to work with, basically. Um, while the dough is chilling or after it's been chilled, and you want to make the cookies now, preheat the oven for 350 degrees. Um, if you're going to use the mold, um, this is what you're going to do with the mold. Um, take your mold and lightly brush oil of some kind. Um, I usually use melted butter because that I've, set, I've heard that works a little bit better. Um, rather than just plain oil brush it lightly make sure that you don't put too much on there Um, then you flour the molds and tap out the extra flour the flour the the amount of flour really isn't terribly important except for looks Um, so I would put as much flour as you possibly can and then tap out the excess Um, and then you will take a piece of dough and starting at one side of the mold press it firmly into the mold adding more dough as needed be sure to level the back of the cookie and make sure you get the dough into all the crevices because mold could have a lot of details you want to get and you want to really firmly press it in there so it gets all that detail. Now, um, turn your mold over and strike it a couple times to release the mold. Um, It's a ceramic mold, it's meant to be smacked around, around a bit so don't be too heavy handed, but don't be too gentle with it either. It can handle a little bit of abuse the cookie should come right out. Um, Repeat the flour dusting of the mold before molding another cookie. Don't use the oil again, because once again you don't want to over oil it. Okay, and then place the form cookie on a baking sheet with detail side up and bake in the top third of your oven. Um, Having it so close to the top actually helps highlight the nice detail of the cookie. And you're going to bake it for about 10 to 12 minutes depending on how many cookies you've made with the mold and all that good stuff. Um, Here are some helpful hints that they give me with a recipe for this particular one when you're using molds and such. Um, Once again, don't be timid about striking the mold on the cutting board. It will not break if you hold it upright while striking it on its edge. Be careful, but don't be timid. Um, If the cookie does not release, you have used too much oil. Clean the mold with a stiff dry brush, Re-flour but don't re-oil and try again. Um, If your cookies are puffing up and losing detail, use a smaller egg. Um, If they are spreading out and losing detail, use less sugar. Um, Chill the cookie mold as well to ease with the release of the cookie. It helps, I think, the, the oil solidifies so it gives it a layer between the mold so it'll come out a little bit easier. Um, If you're using a mold with multiple sections, like the one in the photo for the recipe, and I'll give you a link to this recipe just so you have it. um, Do one cookie section at a time, not the whole mold. Um, That's kind of self-explanatory. Okay, so then, and then the second recipe is for some butter cookies. And these ones are just cookies. They're not meant for um, the mold, but you can use the mold if you like. Um, and these cookies take about maybe 30, 35 minutes or so. And the yield is about 48 cookies. Um, all right, and so the ingredients for the butter cookies, it's not as different as you might think for the, from the sugar cookies. There's, a, there's at least, there's a, I think, two ingredients that are a little bit different. Not much, though. So the first ingredient is eight ounces unsalted butter. And then you've got three fourths cup granulated sugar, one fourth teaspoon salt and one and a half teaspoons pure vanilla. And then you have one large egg yolk, just the yolk, and two cups of all-purpose flour. And the directions for this recipe are um, very simple. You beat the butter, sugar, salt, and vanilla together until they are smooth and creamy. Mix in the egg yolk until well incorporated, scraping down the sides of the bowl at least once. This kind of assumes that you're going to be using an electric mixer as well, but you can do it by hand. It just takes a little bit longer, takes a little bit more work. Can be done. I've done it. Um, add the flour and mix until just incorporated. Just like the sugar cookie recipe, you don't want to over mix this. Otherwise, you're going to get a very tough cookie. Okay, and once it's well incorporated and it turns into kind of a doughy consistency, you will scrape it into a onto a lightly floured board And knead it a few times, just until the dough smooths out a little bit. Um, Turn onto a sheet of plastic wrap and roll it into a log. Um, Wrap it up and refrigerate it for several hours, or you can freeze this. Um, Before baking, you preheat the oven to 325 Fahrenheit. Then you line your baking sheet with um, parchment or you can put oil on there or you can put nothing on there like i do usually because there's lots of butter in here it shouldn't stick but if you're really paranoid about it sticking parchment paper or oil is probably the way to go okay and what you're going to do with the dough is you're going to slice it okay you're going to slice the dough into about eighth of an inch pieces slices and place them on the sheets about an inch apart Um, they won't be spreading much but they do need the air room around each other okay and then you're gonna bake until just beginning to turn golden around the edges about they say about 16 to 18 minutes but it kind of depends on how thick your cookie is so um, check it after um, 10 to 12 minutes and then if it's still not at this point add add about two or three minutes after that and keep adding them until it actually reaches this point um, each each person's oven's a little bit different, and where you're cooking is going to make it a little bit different. So just keep an eye on it, because these can burn really easily. And burnt butter cookies are edible, but not as good as non-burnt ones. Uh, <laughs> I'd always eat butter cookies, now, whether they're burnt or not. Anyway, but... Um, <clears throat> note um you can always um, do many things with these cookies you can roll the dough out and cut shapes you can slice them even thinner and sandwich them with chocolate or jam or lemon curd really great idea i think um or you could make them and then dip them halfway into chocolate um or you could just make them eat them which is my favorite idea and <laughs> one i'm probably going to be doing uh whatever you do these cookies are meant to be really 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 delicious Okay, so next up, after those lovely cookies um, are done and made, you can sit down with a good book. Um, in our book review, um, so next up is our book review, and this time around, we're going to be reviewing the Irish Celtic Magical Tradition by Steve Le Blemiers. Okay, um, this book is basically a line by line examination of the First Battle of Moytura and piecing together an Irish magical tradition based on this examination. All in all, it's a very thorough examination of, and lots of commentary by the author about what it all means. It's very easy to read, with practical exercises for each section, including trans meditation journeys for the reader to use for their own edification. It can be very dense at times with all the information, but overall it's really easy to get through book and would be easy to read again for more information. You get a lot of information out of this book. Um, I agree with most of the commentary by Blemers, though I will say that it has a slightly Wiccan slant um, that I can find a little off-putting, but overall the tone is friendly and the information easy to understand and follow. Um, The main parts I disagreed with were the interpretations of the story of Dian Ket, and his son Miak. It came as a surprise when Blamir's interpretations went no deeper than the um, murder for jealousy angle that is obvious on the surface, um, when so much of the book was looking into so much deeper detail. Another interpretation from a speaker at the ADF suite last year at PantheaCon. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I'll put it in the show notes when I, when I remember it or I find out who it is. Um, her interpretation, actually, is that the father killed the son because his actions caused conflict in the choice of king, uh, which I think is a more apt lesson and makes a, a lot more sense, personally. Um, another red flag that showed up was that there are no citations throughout the work. And getting to the end, there was no bibliography at all. Um, Without a source for his ideas and beliefs about symbolism and what things mean, um, I cannot with a clear conscience say this is worth keeping on the bookshelf. Only if you want someone's opinion would I keep this, because it it reads more like uh, an opinion article that you would read and find interesting than um, a reference material. Um, It's truly sad to say because it was an interesting read and I would love to see where he gets some of his ideas and see how far I can go with my own research using his sources. Um, So sadly, this one goes in the bin. It's available on Amazon. I will put a link in the show notes and hopefully the bibliography is coming soon in a new edition, maybe. Okay. Next up, we have the um, community calendar and just a few facts about the calendar coming up. Um, The official cross-quarter for bulk is on Saturday, the 3rd of February, 2008 at 1121 Eastern Time. And the closest full moon is on the 31st of January at 826 AM Eastern Time. Okay, and some festivals that are coming up in the near future. The closest one that's going to be coming up is um, PantheaCon in February. This is a pan-pagan convention that I go to every year. And this year it's happening at the Double Tree Hotel in San Jose, California. And it's happening around the, the, um, it actually is happening on February 16th to the 19th. And if you want more information, their website is PantheaCon.com. And their theme for this year is actually sustainable caring community. And next up, we have another convention that's coming up in February as well. It's called Convocation. And this also is a pan convention that ADF has a presence at. And it actually starts on February 22nd and goes to the 25th. And it is going to be held at the Dearborn slash Detroit Doubletree by Hilton. And their website is, it's a little bit complicated, so let me read it out. It's um, https colon forward slash for forward slash sites s-i-t-e-s dot com forward slash a forward slash convocation dot org forward slash convocation forward slash home and i will be posting all these all these links so you won't have to type that in um but that's our website if you want any more information on what's going on on at convocation this year okay and the next one that's coming up, it's this one hap- is happening in March. It's um, Pega- Paganicon. Um, and it is happening um, from March 16th to the 18th. And this is also happening at a Doubletree hotel. But it's the Doubletree Park Place in St. Louis Park. I believe that's Minnesota. And their website is paganicon.org if you want any more information on how to register and see what's going on at that particular festival. And the last festival or convention that we're going to mention this time around is also happening in March. Um, it's um, G- Ghosty-Con. It's um, Ghosty-Con. And it is happening um, from the 22nd of March to the 25th. And it will be happening at the Best Western Albany Airport Inn in um, Albany, New York. And their website, once again, if you want to find more information is going to be at ghosty-con.org. And just a slight warning, um, this website is very hard to read, especially for people who have issues with red, red and green. Um, it has a bright green background with bright blue um, letters for the links, and it's very hard to read. Just a warning, um, but um, I did send them a notice saying that their um, website was very hard to read. So just a heads up on that. So those are the festivals that are going on that um, are going on in the near future that um, ADF either has a presence at or they are running themselves. Wrapping up, I would like to thank everyone who contributed to the podcast either by listening or with your submissions or even on Patreon. I've got a few patrons on there that I want to thank and I want to Make sure they know they are very welcome. I would also like to thank Bonnie Landry for her wonderful voice that you heard in the intro of the show. Singing Fire Burn Bright. A chant written and composed by our own Diane Emerald Bronowitz. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, all other music and images belong to their creators with all rights reserved and all that good stuff. Um, right now you can find our podcast on Stitcher itunes podbean google play and on patreon i would appreciate any and all reviews especially on itunes because reviews there really help make it easier for more people to find us if you want to help support the podcast um go on patreon um i have two levels or tiers for patronage each with their own rewards and privileges the first tier is the um one dollar one uh, which you get which gets you access to all the podcasts, including a mini show that is centered around the Dedicant Path and my journey down it. Um, the next level up is the five dollar tier that gives the option of being featured on the podcast on top of the access to all the other episodes. Um, go to Patreon to check it out and help support the podcast. Um, all websites mentioned will be listed in links in the show notes as per usual, and also on the blog, which I will also put in the show notes, a link to that as well. Thank you for listening, contributing, and supporting. May you and yours be well, and always may you all pray with a good fire.